30, which deals with church censures. And that word, it's kind of an old word. We don't necessarily use that word in, in this way, but it has to do with uh, the correction, the correction and, and the correction with authority that God has appointed and provided uh, for his church. Of course, the Lord Jesus alone is the king and head of that church. That's what we see in the very head of this chapter in paragraph 1. And he is the one that we must look to in his word. We must follow his correction we must receive. Uh, but he does appoint those that are, are termed under shepherds or uh, bishops or elders, these various terms that are used to describe these who are called to bring God's word to bear in the life of his people, who are called to lead an example of godliness and to help uh, guide and direct, again, with the word of God, those who are under their care. We've seen that this is a distinct government, separate from any um, civil magistrate, whether that be viewed in the standpoint of the claims that civil magistrates have made at times over the church, the Lord Jesus is our king in our head. And when he calls us together and calls us to worship and calls us to follow him, no man has the authority to interject and claim a, a right of authority over his church. No, the Lord Jesus alone is its king and head. And we also must consider that uh, it does not originate with men, this, this church and these that are called to be under shepherds, that's of divine appointment. It's not from men. And so we're not allowed to shape it after our own wishes or to take it in a direction other than what Jesus Christ has provided. And so again, the elders of the church in particular are called to, to have a ministerial role and a ministerial authority alone, not a native authority, not an absolute authority, but the authority to minister the Word of God in and among the people of God so that when the elders are pointing us to God's Word and calling us to follow His Word, that is the authority that God has given them. Uh, if they are to part from that or to leave that behind, they've left their authority behind. And that's so important for us to, to remember. Now that's the, the, the backdrop of looking then at some of the details of what the officers are called to do with that authority. Uh, it's not just that they are to, to serve as, as shepherds and guides seeking to uh, look after the people and apply God's word to uh, call them after the Lord Jesus. That's the general statement of this. But there are, as we see in the second paragraph, uh, the keys of the kingdom, as the Lord Jesus describes it. Uh, this ministry of the preaching of God's word and the ministry of administering these sacraments of the church that Jesus Christ has appointed. Those must be kept together. Uh, as we saw when we looked at the sacraments in these immediate past chapters, uh, the sacraments don't stand alone, but they are in the context of the gospel and appointed by the Lord Jesus in his word. So that must be kept together lest they be perverted. But we see that the officers are called to, to this task. And then in the third paragraph, which is where we pick back up this morning, um, we see that there is a need, there are actually multiple purposes served 
when the officers of a church, the elders of the church, are called in God's word in a faithful application of God's word, at times that requires more than just a pastoral um, solicitation or an admonition, a call. Thankfully, that's the norm. That's what we're to be doing in and among God's people on a regular basis. But there are those times when uh, someone who is professing faith in Christ does not respond to that call of God's word. And so we see that there are uh, times when faithfulness to God's word requires uh, further steps, which are known as the discipline of the church. We'll read this third paragraph together, and then we pick back up. We got all the way to the very last verse uh, in looking through these scriptures two weeks ago. But let's read our third paragraph together then. Church censures are necessary for the reclaiming and gaining of offending brethren, for deterring of others from the like offenses, for purging out of that leaven which might infect the whole lump, for vindicating the honor of Christ and the holy profession of the gospel, and for preventing the wrath of God which might justly fall upon the church if they should suffer his covenant and the seals thereof to be profaned by notorious and obstinate offenders. And so we looked at scripture references, um, giving us illustrations of these various purposes, reclaiming and gaining the offending brethren. We saw that there is this uh, purpose of reclamation in the discipline of, of a straying member of Christ's church. The goal is that they be reclaimed and brought back to the Lord Jesus. If they've gotten to a place where they've been hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, as we read there in Hebrews, and they have, have been deceived to the point that they think they can hold on to these sins and follow after them, but also all will be well in their relationship with God, well, it is the duty of the elders to uh, correct that and to, to show those offending that they, they may not uh, serve two masters, as the Lord Jesus said, uh, by putting them uh, eventually outside of the membership of the church. The goal of that, firstly with respect to them, is that they might come to their senses and recognize uh, that they must repent and come back to Christ by faith that they might be restored in God's favor. Um, also for deterring of others from the like offenses, for purging out of that leaven which might infect the whole lump. Uh, these have to do with the others in the membership of the church. If, if we are rightly compared to sheep in God's word, uh, one thing, if you've ever been around sheep, they definitely follow one another. And one of the goals of faithful church discipline is to deter others from being swept along in a, in a course of sin and thinking, well, well, they are able to do this and all seems to be well, uh, lest that spread. That's why it's referred to as leaven in the scriptures. It has that influence. Also, for vindicating the honor of Christ and the holy profession of the gospel. You know, if you've ever shared the gospel with someone or sought to be a witness for Christ and heard, uh, often if, if there's a reluctance on their part, or hardness to, to embracing that message themselves, that call to faith and repentance. Uh, many times you'll hear some, some finger pointing back to the hypocrisy of the church or, you know, I've known 
some you know some of the worst behavior I've ever seen has been in a church I was in once or uh, such as that. Uh, this is an example in in the in the positive of of why that is so necessary. Um, it shouldn't be the case that a person could be a member in good standing in the church of Jesus Christ and completely flaunt the authority of his word in their lives in terms of how they live. It should not be. It does bring dishonor upon the name of Jesus Christ and dishonor upon his, his bride, the church. And for preventing the wrath of God, that this is the, the very last of these, which might justly fall upon the church if they should suffer his covenant and the seals thereof to be profaned by notorious and obstinate offenders. Now this is that last um, section in the scripture references that we were looking at that, that God himself, not only through the, the ministry of his under-shepherds uh, correcting, pleading, calling back to the Lord Jesus, if that is unresponded to, uh, then proceeding with discipline. But the, but the Lord God in heaven himself directly is at work. Jesus Christ hasn't delegated all function of shepherding his people to the officers of his church. No, he himself is still the good shepherd and active in and among his people. And so we, look, we closed last week, and we'll pick back up by going to 1 Corinthians 11. This is that passage we've just been looking at in terms of the biblical practice of the Lord's Supper and how it's to be observed, what it is picturing and, and why it is, is important. It's not just an empty ceremony, but it is a, a solemn commemoration of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, to, uh, to misconduct ourselves in observing this is, is a direct dishonor to the gospel and the death of Jesus Christ. And so the Lord takes an active interest in this. You remember the whole purpose of 1 Corinthians is Paul is having to write a letter to this church. He's having to call them uh, all the way from the, the members, the elders, the deacons, the pastor, all of them are, are included in this correction that Paul is giving in this letter. And you'll notice that the, the, the elders, they weren't doing their jobs as we read um, how they had perverted this practice of the Lord's Supper, exalting themselves over one another, bringing their own uh, food and drink to the table so that some had excess and others had a lack. Uh, not looking to this as the provision of Christ for his people, which is in common to all of us. Well, the elders are certainly complicit in this. They... Uh, it's their job to, to make sure that these things don't happen. And so you, you can certainly say, well, well, they weren't the ones. They weren't uh, conducting any biblical function of their role. They weren't calling these people to repentance in the way that Paul is having to in this letter. But notice, nonetheless, does that mean that there's no discipline or correction for these uh, missteps and misconduct in the, the Lord's Supper. No, look at, look at Paul's um, instruction here in verse 26 at the conclusion of 
his instruction of how they are to observe the Lord's Supper. In verse 26, he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, it's certainly true that when we sin, when we step outside of the path of God's will of obedience to him, um, does that have any implications for that great day when we will stand before God and answer for all our actions? Well, it certainly does, but that's not really the judgment that Paul has in view. When you keep reading, look at verse 30. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. What he's looking at in this statement that you, if you eat and drink without discerning the body, you eat and drink judgment on yourself. This is a, a judgment or a discipline that's being meted out and administered directly by God. Uh, he, he is disciplining them. He is bringing visiting judgment on these who are dishonoring his son in how they partake of the Lord's Supper. So that some were weak, many were weak and ill, and some had even died. And so when we, when we consider what that means in terms of, uh, it's certainly not restricted just to the Lord's Supper, this concept that Jesus Christ is the active king and head of his church. He's actively shepherding so that he's at work in and among his people. It's, it's the picture we see in those early chapters of Revelation where John sees the, the vision of the Lord Jesus risen and in heaven, but nonetheless walking among the candlesticks. And he explains these candlesticks represent the various congregations of my people. And so Jesus is actively at work. And if you read those letters, you'll, you'll see that Jesus is observing and noting the various struggles and weaknesses and um, successes, the faithfulness, the, the, the unfaithfulness in cases of those various congregations. And he sends John with these letters uh, addressing them as their good shepherd. And so we, we see that, it, that this principle applies in a broader sense. If we have sin that we are following and giving our lives to, well, again, Jesus tells us no man can serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other or vice versa. The Lord Jesus himself will, will come and deal with a church just as he will come and deal with an individual believer or professing believer uh, in response to their life, whether they are being faithful to him and faithful to that profession or not. And you'll notice in, in those letters in the early chapters of Revelation, he even warns that if they don't heed these calls to repentance and calls to come back to him, 
he even makes reference to, lest I come and remove the candlestick from their midst. This is what the confession is, is getting at when it speaks about preventing the wrath of God, which might justly fall upon the church, if they should suffer his covenant and the seals thereof to be profaned by notorious and obstinate offenders, that there are consequences, implications. There's a responsibility that all of us share for one another, and especially, perhaps, the officers of the church have, but it extends to the whole congregation, that when we have someone in our midst that gives their life over to sin, and if we, if we would do what Corinth did and, and take pride in our broad-mindedness or our tolerance and, and preach uh, some other gospel than what God has given us in his word and say that these things are indifferent, that God will just accept you no matter what you live, uh, what you live like, uh, what does Jesus warn us? Well, not only will the individual who's giving himself in sin certainly be dealt with by the Lord himself if not by those he is instructed to do so but even the entire church has that responsibility and in Jude verse 23 if you'll turn there with me we have an interesting reference both James and Jude are very much Old Testament in their um, in their help to the New Testament church, you'll have to remember that with the with the introduction of the Gentiles into the church, uh, they they lacked a lot of the background that those who were believing Jews had. As the apostles went to the synagogues and they would preach the gospel, there was that context of the whole Old Testament that uh, provided a very helpful background and foundation for those who would come to faith in Christ from that context, but. The Gentile believers who were brought to faith in Christ through the preaching of the apostles, uh, you can look at Cornelius and the visit of the apostle Peter, for example, uh, and certainly many, many other cases, uh, lacked that background. And so James and Jude in particular, it's, it's as though James is summarizing the, the lessons and the truths of the Old Testament in those short chapters for the instruction and the benefit particularly needed by those who lacked that Old Testament instruction and teaching and discipline. But here in Jude, um, notice, notice these calls to the people of God in verse 17, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now, it's that last phrase that if you do come from an Old Testament um, context, that, that certainly means a lot. 
you can look back at Leviticus chapter 11 and Leviticus chapter 15. That's a very clear reference back to the laws of cleanliness, uh, particularly the laws pertain to leprosy that God had given through his uh, servant Moses. And as with uh, those other laws in the Old Testament, there is a, a spiritual fulfillment, a spiritual dimension to this. We looked at this most recently with the the leaven being cast out of the tent in the camp for Passover. Well, Paul helps us clearly see that that was a picture of casting out the, the leaven of sin, the leaven of ungodliness. It was originally a picture of, of casting out of their homes and lives that corrupting influence that they would otherwise have from Egypt, this land that they lived in. Here also, uh, these, these laws about leprosy, when you read those, um, there's certainly a, a very practical dimension to them in terms of quarantine and, and keeping disease contained and so forth, but there's clearly also a spiritual lesson being taught that we see here, sin is what is equated with the leprosy. Uh, it is to be hated. It is to be treated with great caution and care. It's to be avoided. You don't come into contact with sin. Uh, you, you take great care and follow the instruction of God's Word in dealing with it. Uh, it will spread. It does bring death. It does bring isolation from the, the blessing of the fellowship of God's people. That, that's the spiritual fulfillment of these, of these laws. Now, when we read Jude, uh, he, he looks at these instructions. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. That is, that in the context of, of showing mercy of seeking the salvation of sinners, of seeking to reach out to sinners with the gospel and calling them to faith in Jesus Christ and, and sharing the, the blessing and the good news that Jesus Christ has come as the, the Savior. Nonetheless, this has to be done with fear. Uh, this has to be done with that same measure of caution and care that was called for in dealing with leprosy in the Old Testament that you, you, you must be very careful, be vigilant in, in showing mercy and in, in seeking to reach out the hand of love to someone that needs the gospel. They need to repent and come to faith in Christ. Be careful that you are not polluted and contaminated and, and begin to have uh, worn down your own um, view of sin that God's word is teaching us that we must hate sin we must flee from it we must repent of it in ourselves and as we're showing mercy to others and seeking to redeem them uh, we must be very very careful and guarded against the corrupting power of sin in our lives hating even the garment stained by the flesh uh, you know uh, i've heard the testimony of some and perhaps you have as well that it's just shocking the level of the, the lack of care, the carelessness, uh, the brazenness of, of those who uh, just, just act as though 
they're immune from this. They're immune from the allure of sin or the temptation of sin in some way that um, I can remember hearing uh, someone share how they uh, would frequent just horrible places uh, where there was just an abundance of sinful behavior. Uh, Again, I'm not opposed to, to sharing the gospel wherever we can, but this was done with just absolutely no no sense of carefulness in terms of uh, the the honor of the name of the Lord Jesus and avoiding uh, sin in your own life. Uh, you, you cannot go along with sin in the name of sharing the gospel uh, with someone. And so, again, when we remember that God himself will deal with, he doesn't just leave it, exclusively to these he's called to the task these officers but eventually uh, it will come to a point where he himself is directly dealing just as he did in Corinth and you you have to look in that context and that light you have to look at uh, the expressions of professing believers in Jesus in our day not not with uh, high-minded judgment but, but soberly to consider in light of what Jesus said to those churches in, in Revelation in that very early day of the church, how many places that still view themselves as a house of, of worship has the Lord Jesus just removed his presence from? It's a sobering thought to consider. We cannot um, make ourselves even a church of the Lord Jesus. It is his work. And if we reject his will and reject him as king and head in our midst, at every practical level, surely he will not honor that congregation with his presence on and on. There is a day of of reckoning uh, that he brings us to. All right, well, down to the fourth paragraph. If that is the the purpose, these are the the necessary reasons, the goals that discipline must accomplish. In paragraph 4, we read, For the better attaining of these ends, the officers of the church are to proceed by admonition, suspension from the sacrament of the Lord's Supper for a season, and by excommunication from the church according to the nature of the crime and demerit of the person. In other words, it's, it's not just a, a single-step process. Uh, it's not a, a binary in terms of there being no discipline or excommunication, but we see these various degrees of discipline illustrated in the New Testament. And we'll look at these passages together. First of all, in 1 Thessalonians 5, where do we come up with this um, expression of discipline termed admonition? The officers of the church are to proceed by admonition. Well, in a sense, as we said, there's a general sense of admonition where we're all subjecting ourselves to the admonition of God's word. Every time we read it together, when we are gathered to hear it taught and preached, But there is a more formal expression of admonition, and I want you to notice first the term, and then we will see an example of it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 
notice how Paul um, describes the work of those who are called to be overseers or um, bishops. That's the term that's translated either way, uh, synonymous with elder. In verse 12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Uh, Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, and so forth. So in addition to that general ministry of God's Word that is to be our common experience as we gather together, it should be around that bread from heaven that we might all feed upon the Lord Jesus and hear his voice uh, call us back to himself and instruct us. There are those occasions of admonition where there has been some evidence or some um, instance where someone is showing they're not, they're not uh, heeding that general ministry. They are, in this case, notice, uh, for example, perhaps they are the idol. They're those who, in the face of God's word giving these calls to be diligent and to work with zeal for the Lord's glory in seeking to take dominion in this world, to provide for yourself and your family, as, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, uh, rather than stealing, to labor with your own hands so that you might have that to provide for yourself and to share with those who are in need. That's, that's in the instruction of God's Word. Well, if, if you've heard that and you're still living in idleness, that's the context that Paul addresses here. These, these elders uh, who labor among them and are over them in the Lord and admonish you, well, they're being called now. And you elders, you, you go to the idle person. You admonish them in the Lord with love. Uh, you call them to recognize, now here is what God has said in his word, and here is how you're living. And we are calling you specifically. We're, we're calling you personally. We're calling you uh, to repent. We're admonishing you. We, we grieve to see that you've not heeded uh, the word that has been uh, given to all of God's people in this matter. So that's ad- admonition. Uh, it's it's the again. This is to be done with with gentleness, with love, but also with faithfulness, because these uh, who labor among you, uh, they will answer to the Lord, as we saw two weeks ago in Hebrews. They'll give an account for your souls, and so they they can't soft pedal the claims of the Lord Jesus. They can't say, well, you know. I'm going to give you a pass. No, you're not allowed to do that. It's the Lord and his standard that you're called to to bring to his people. 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we have another reference to the the discipline proceeding. And it does seem that this is a, a continuing, I don't think it was a random um, arbitrary example that Paul pulled out when he said in First Thessalonians 5, admonish the idle. 
He's aware of something specific in that congregation. He's calling those elders. You need to deal with this. You need to admonish these who are idle. Now, notice by the time we come to 2 Thessalonians, um, verse, well, chapter 3, verse 6, this, this problem's persisted to this point. Uh, these elders, we, we would uh, assume from what we're about to read, have been admonishing the idle. And the idle, in some cases at least, are rejecting that admonition. Not only the, the reading and preaching of God's word, but this personal, pastoral uh, effort to call them and help them and, and mentor them and discipline them, teach them uh, to see growth and obedience to the Lord Jesus. And so in verse 6 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. Now, again, uh, we, we can sometimes bring our own meaning to a term like the tradition. Um, that's been appropriated and used for all manner of things. But the apostolic tradition uh, was not something that originated with, with these men, but it was the instruction that they had received from the Lord Jesus that they had inculcated and lived and taught God's people in this, these formative days of the church. Uh, that's, that's the tradition. It's the tradition of faithfulness to God's word and his instruction. That's what he's referring to. So this, this again, he's not named, but um, this, is, this is a continued step, the next step, if you will. In, in instruction. You keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. And, and I'll just pause there. It's, I think, far more significant. It's, it's not so much that you uh, socially cut him and, and you won't speak if spoken to, but particularly what's in view here is he's going down a path of rebellion against the Lord Jesus, you can't follow with him. You, you can't go along with that disobedience. You, you need to keep yourself back from following after a brother who is, who is doing this. This is uh, becoming quite a serious situation. In verse 7, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle, when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you and ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, if we, if we read back over what we just read, what, what is Paul um, s assessing here? Well, they're doing all of these things that Paul said. Here, here was the example of godliness we set for you. We didn't uh, take from you to just feed ourselves. We, we didn't take anyone's bread without paying for it. Uh, we didn't uh, allow ourselves just to have... 
all of our time at our disposal and just to, to come around and take from you. No, that's apparently, though, what these are doing. Uh, they are sponging off of the, the, uh, the hard work of those around them. They're, they're coming over and eating their food. Uh, they are giving themselves to being a, a busybody, which is a reference to uh, just rather than being diligent and busy with work that God has given them, they're just being busy with everyone else's business and lives. Look at verse 12, though. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, and again, what, what is the defining characteristic of someone who should be disciplined by the, by the church, who will be disciplined by the Lord if they don't repent? It is this matter of someone who is rejecting the authority of God's word in their life. That should be the defining characteristic of a, of a child of God, one who heeds the voice of their father. But if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Again, with an emphasis on not participating with, not going along with, not joining in with what he is doing that is wicked. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So it's a step before what we've seen described as regard him as a Gentile and a tax collector. Put him outside the church, as we read in 1 Corinthians 5. Um, this is an opportunity. He's in a season of, of repentance, an opportunity for repentance. He's being called. His elders have been admonishing him. And the Apostle Paul writes a second letter and now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly. Um, in verse 11, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness. So he's, he's continuing his own admonition to these individuals. He's, he's urging them to repent. He's letting them hear the instruction to the broader congregation. Now, everyone else, I'm telling you, you can't go along with this. You can't follow in with this. You have to separate yourself from disobedience to Jesus. Even if it's one of your brothers or your sisters in the Lord, even if it's someone that you love with tender affection, even if it's your very best friend, the person you love to spend time with, you have to draw the line at faithfulness to the Lord Jesus. It's like the Lord Jesus instructed in his earthly ministry that you, you must put your love to Christ very first above every other relation, however dear it may be. You must put your love for Jesus Christ first. And so do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now notice that in, in the case of 1 Corinthians 5, the sin was so, so offensive, egregious, serious, what was Paul's first letter in response to that? He said, this is such a dishonor to the Lord Jesus. 
this sexual immorality is so um, condemning and tainting and wicked, uh, he, he called upon them immediately to put that person outside the church and call him to repent from that context. Here, uh, these individuals are being pleaded with, but being viewed still as brothers. And so it does take, as, as the confession says, according to the nature of the crime and demerit of the person, it does take wisdom in, in applying these things. But we have uh, this, this matter of admonition proceeding on. Now, I think we will have to stop there because we're out of time, but we'll, we'll look at the matter of suspension from the sacrament of the Lord's Supper for a season and also excommunication uh, in these following scripture verses that you should have there in your handout. If you'd like to read ahead on those, I'd encourage you to do that. But nonetheless, we'll, we'll seek to cover that and also begin the next chapter in our time together next week by God's grace. Let's, uh, let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father, we give thanks to you for your incredible love and patience with each of us. Lord, we know that we are all still full of sin uh, and inconsistency in our love for Jesus. As we read Romans chapter 7 and the testimony of the Apostle Paul himself in his struggle with the remaining sin within him, Lord, none of us are exempt from that. None of us are any different. And so we marvel, Lord, that you continue with us so patiently, so graciously. You are calling us through your word uh, to follow after the Lord Jesus. You've told us that this is the will of God, your sanctification. You've told us that you are making us, fashioning us as new creations in Christ Jesus into the very image of the Lord Jesus Christ, which will restore in us the image of God in which you created us. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would please stir us up to be soft and tender in our conscience and heart before you, that we would be responsive quickly to the work of your Holy Spirit within us as he is calling us to be holy as you are holy, as he is bringing conviction to us in an area of, of sin or failing. Oh, Lord, may we not harden our hearts against that ministry, but rather may we uh, submit to it with joy and daily uh, mortify our old sinful selves uh, as the Apostle Paul confessed that we would regard that self that old man as crucified with Jesus Christ that we'd be looking and, and praying for and working toward the, the new creation that you have made us to be Lord, we ask that you would help us, not only with respect to our own struggle with sin, but help us to have regard for one another. Help us to admonish one another in that, in that sense of the fellowship of God's people. May we not uh, treat it a matter of grave offense to have one another uh, coming to us or going to them with, with humility and love. Uh, seeking to express concern, Lord. If we have reason to, to believe a brother or a sister is struggling in some area of sin, 
Lord, may, may that be viewed as it should be, as a, an expression of love and concern, and may it, may it be uh, conducted, Lord, in such a way. And we do pray that you would uh, bless the elders of this church and um, the other expressions of, of your bride. Lord, we pray for uh, that faithfulness, that humility, that commitment. Uh, Lord, we pray for strength. We pray for wisdom. We pray that you would come and bless that uh, we might not be found unfaithful to you, Lord, as a church of your people, but that we would be helping one another in our walk with you, that we might uh, continue to have the blessing of your presence in our midst. Lord, we pray that you would keep this congregation from ever uh, getting to a place of such hardness that uh, we would choose to, to relax in sin and uh, lose the, the blessing of your favor and your presence with us. Lord, we ask that you would minister to us now, come by your spirit as we have gathered in this place to worship you. We pray that our hearts would be full of joy and that we would come with a soft and teachable heart to hear your word, that you would reveal your glory yet more to us. And as we see... Uh, more of who you are and of who we are in the light of your word that we would rejoice evermore in the Lord Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior in whose name we pray